Welcome to the November 19th, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will review and proof-of-concept study using the bispecific antibody AFM13 in combination with a checkpoint inhibitor in patients with relapsed or refractory Hodgkin lymphoma, learn more about how iron restriction might be a promising new therapy for congenital erythropoietic porphyria, and review a manuscript that provides novel molecular insights into the requirement for RUNCS1 in a mouse model of inversion 16 acute myeloid leukemia providing a path forward for new therapies to treat this subgroup of AML. Our first topic is a study entitled A Phase 1b Study of AFM13 in Combination with Pembrolizumab in Patients with Relapsed or Refractory Hodgkin Lymphoma by Nancy Bartlett at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. Stephen Ansel at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and study colleagues from other centers in the United States and in Spain. Patients with Hodgkin lymphoma have the potential to be cured or experience long-term remission with risk-adapted treatment, including chemotherapy and radiotherapy. However, up to 30% may still develop progressive disease or relapse, and for these patients, only 50% or fewer have been cured with high-dose chemotherapy and autologous stem cell transplantation. Treatment for Hodgkin lymphoma has evolved in three major therapeutic eras. Initially, treatment involved multi-drug combinations of cytotoxic chemotherapeutic agents. Next, Highly intensified chemotherapy was shown to increase cure rates for either disease in relapse or given in first-line treatments. However, in both eras, efficacy came with a high price of increased toxicities. Now, in the third major era, additional progress is being achieved using active immunologic treatment. These approaches exploit insights gained into the basic biology of Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells, or HRS cells, and their interactions with immune effector cells in the tumor microenvironment. Here, Bartlett and co-authors conducted an open-label, multi-center, phase 1b dose escalation study to assess the safety and efficacy of the bispecific antibody AFM13 when given in combination with pembrolizumab, a programmed cell death checkpoint inhibitor. AFM13 is a first-in-class innate cell engager that is in clinical development for treatment of CD30-positive lymphomas, including Hodgkin lymphoma. It is a tetravalent bispecific antibody that binds to and activates natural killer cells and macrophages via CD16 and also binds to CD30-positive lymphoma cells. Thus, AFM13 acts as a bridge to recruit and activate innate immune cells in close proximity to tumor cells. In a previous study, AFM13 treatment given as a single agent to heavily pretreated Hodgkin lymphoma patients was found to be safe, well-tolerated, and resulted in objective but modest tumor responses. This limited activity likely reflected the limited capacity of immune cells to injure malignant HRS cells because HRS cells express programmed death ligand 1, one of the major escape mechanisms in Hodgkin lymphoma. To overcome this obstacle, Bartlett and colleagues used a clever three-pronged attack using AFM13 to recruit immune system killer cells into tight proximity with HRS cells, 
and at the same time flooding the system with pembrolizumab to eliminate the PD-1-PDL1-enforced blockade of NK cell-mediated destruction. The study was conducted at 14 U.S. sites and four sites in Spain between June 2016 and March 2019. They enrolled a total of 30 patients with relapsed or refractory Hodgkin lymphoma, who had received three to seven prior therapies, often including autologous hematopoietic stem cell transplant. Impressively, the study achieved overall and complete response rates of 88% and 42% respectively. This potent therapeutic effect was accompanied by only modest toxicity, a direct consequence of employing biologically selective agents. Side effects were mainly infusion reactions that reached grade 4 in only 13% of the patients. The authors conclude that this proof-of-concept study supports further investigation as a novel immunotherapy combination. In an accompanying commentary, Joseph Connors from the BC Cancer Center for Lymphoid Cancer in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada, notes that this work nicely demonstrates how recent progress in treating Hodgkin lymphoma has been carefully built using a better understanding of the immunology of malignant HRS cells and their interactions with the immune system. He also notes that the full potential of using novel immunologic approaches, such as AFM13 plus a checkpoint inhibitor to treat Hodgkin lymphoma, will only be reached when these are integrated into the initial treatment. Given the very encouraging results from Bartlett and colleagues, he suggests that clinical trials for Hodgkin lymphoma can now be launched employing these biologically selective, largely non-toxic therapies in earlier and eventually frontline clinical trials. Our next topic is a study entitled Iron Chelation Rescues Hemolytic Anemia and Skin Photosensitivity in Congenital Erythropoietic Porphyria by Bluin and colleagues led by Karim and Richard from the Université de Paris and the Université de Bordeaux in France. Inherited porphyrias are metabolic disorders affecting the heme biosynthesis pathway and are usually classified into hepatic and erythropoietic forms, according to the tissue responsible for the major porphyrin overproduction. Congenital erythropoietic porphyria, or CEP, is a rare autosomal recessive disorder that is caused by mutation of uroporphyrinogen 3 synthase, or uros, the fourth enzyme of the heme synthetic pathway. Reduced urose activity leads to the accumulation of phototoxic metabolites in erythrocytes, liver, spleen, and skin, which induce chronic hemolysis and skin photosensitivity with blistering after sun exposure. The clinical severity of CEP is determined by the quantity of residual urose activity and varies from minor skin photosensitivity to severe transfusion-dependent hemolytic anemia. Although the biochemistry of heme synthesis and the pathogenesis of CEP are well understood, therapy is currently limited to protective clothing, strict sun avoidance, splenectomy, and other supportive measures. Some patients remit after bone marrow transplantation, confirming that the pathology results from aberrant heme synthesis in erythroid cells. For this reason, CEP is termed an erythropoietic rather than a hepatic porphyria. This group thought that a promising strategy to treat CEP would be to reduce the erythroid production of porphyrins through substrate reduction therapy, an approach that aims to restore metabolic homeostasis by reducing the synthesis of toxic substrates. 
In humans, the regulation of heme biosynthesis mainly occurs at the first and rate-limiting step catalyzed by 5-aminolevulinate synthase, also known as ALAS. In erythroid cells, the ALAS2 isoform is important and is regulated by iron availability due to the presence of an iron-responsive element located in the 5-prime untranslated region. Iron stabilizes ALAS2 messenger RNA, leading to more protein production and more heme synthesis. Iron restriction reverses this. In rare disorders such as CEP, rigorous clinical trials are difficult and therapeutic efficacy is typically demonstrated through a series of case studies. As a basis for the current work, the authors were encouraged by reports of one CEP patient who had marked improvement when treated with the iron chelator Defarasirox and another patient who had a dramatic clinical response to frequent phlebotomy. This team first showed that they could efficiently reduce porphyrin accumulation in human erythroid cell models of CEP disease after RNAi-mediated downregulation of ALAS2. Next, taking advantage of the iron-dependent post-transcriptional regulation of ALAS2, they evaluated whether iron chelation with deferoprone could decrease ALAS2 expression and subsequent porphyrin production in vitro. They found that deferoprone treatment of urose-deficient erythroid cell lines and peripheral blood CD34-positive-derived erythroid cultures from a CEP patient was indeed able to inhibit ALAS2 expression and reduce porphyrin production. Importantly, they were also able to test this strategy in vivo using a murine CEP model that closely resembles the human disease. They treated CEP mice with deferoprone for 26 weeks and found that iron chelation decreased porphyrin overload and reversed the hemolytic anemia and skin photosensitivity. Of note, iron restriction did not induce iron deficiency anemia in either the CEP mice or the two previously mentioned CEP patients. These findings highlight the therapeutic potential of iron restriction to modulate the phenotype in CEP, which mechanistically acts by limiting iron-regulated ALAS2 protein production and activity. While effectiveness and safety of long-term chronic iron chelation in CEP patients remains to be determined, these results also open the way for development of specific ALAS2 inhibitors as a future treatment of erythropoietic porphyria. In the accompanying commentary, a simple Rx for congenital erythropoietic porphyria, Janice Abkowitz from the University of Washington in Seattle notes that the results of this study are both provocative and important and could change therapy for patients with this rare disorder. The work also emphasizes the importance of animal models that clinically and pathophysiologically mirror human disease. The uniform and dramatic clinical response to iron restriction in the CEP mice and the two previously reported CEP patients argues that restricting iron, either via chelation or phlebotomy, should be considered frontline therapy for this devastating disorder. In the future, other agents that target ALAS2 should also be useful therapies. Our last study today is entitled RUNX1 and CBF-beta SMMHC Transactivate Target Genes Together in Abnormal Myeloid Progenitors for Leukemia Development by Tao Jun, Yacheng Chao, and colleagues led by Paul Yu at the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Core binding factor leukemias are a common subtype of de novo acute myeloid leukemia. 
These include leukemias associated with an inversion of chromosome 16 that generates a CBFB-MYH11 fusion gene, which is a consistent finding in patients with AML subtype M4 with eosinophilia. The inversion 16 fusion encodes the CBF-beta-SMMHC oncoprotein, which is comprised of most of the core binding factor beta and the C-terminal domain of the smooth muscle myosin-heavy chain. While inversion 16 AML is commonly treated with high-dose chemotherapy and generally considered favorable risk, up to 40% of patients still relapse and subsequently require additional therapies, including allogeneic bone marrow transplant. Relapse is due to the presence of a number of leukemia-initiated cells, also called leukemia stem cells, that are resistant to conventional chemotherapy. Thus, new therapies are needed to target these cells. Inversion chromosome 16 is considered a classic example of the original Gilliland two-hit model of AML, in which a proliferative signal is provided by a mutation resulting in an activated signaling molecule in combination with the loss of a transcription factor that promotes the expansion of undifferentiated cells. Normal core binding factor is heterodimeric transcription factor that is composed of a DNA binding alpha subunit, either RUNCs 1, 2, or 3, and the non-DNA binding CBF-beta subunit. CBF-beta SMMHC has been thought to cause AML by sequestering RUNCs1, thus preventing RUNCs1 from regulating myeloid maturation and resulting in a differentiation block. This model suggests that a complete loss of RUNCs1 activity is required for inversion 16-driven leukemia. However, recent studies, including from this lab, have challenged the RUNCs1 repression model and suggest that instead, RUNCs1 may actually play a role in inversion 16-induced leukemogenesis. Thus, to definitively determine whether RUNCs1 is required for AML driven by inversion 16, Jun and colleagues utilized a genetically engineered knock-in allele that inducibly recapitulates inversion 16 in mice in combination with an inducible null allele of RUNCs1. They achieved this by crossing conditional RUNCs1 knockout mice with conditional CBF-beta SMMHC knock-in mice, an allele that recapitulates inversion 16. MX1-Cree was used for inducible deletion by poly-IC injection. While the inversion 16 animals with normal RUNCs1 developed AML with a latency of 16 weeks, animals lacking RUNCs1 did not develop AML during a one-year period of follow-up. This effect was cell autonomous and demonstrates that loss of RUNCs1 blocks inversion 16-driven leukemia development. They then showed that a leukemia-initiating cell population in the bone marrow, otherwise induced by the inversion 16 fusion protein, decreased and disappeared with loss of RUNCs1. To delineate why both inversion 16 protein and RUNCs1 were required in leukemia-initiating cells, the authors performed detailed molecular studies. RNA-seq analysis of the leukemia-initiating cells in CBF-beta-SMMHC-expressing mice showed that genes associated with proliferation, differentiation blockage, and leukemia initiation were differentially expressed depending on whether RUNCs1 was present or not. In addition, using a chromatin immunocleavage sequencing assay, they obtained evidence that RUNCs1 recruits the inversion 16 oncoprotein to specific target genes, including those that control proliferation. 
In conclusion, these results show that RUNX1 is indispensable for inversion 16-induced leukemogenesis in mice by working together with the inversion 16 fusion protein to regulate genes associated with the generation of a population of leukemia-initiating cells. In his commentary, RUNX1 and inversion 16 are frenemies in AML, Sridhar Rao from the Versidi Blood Research Institute and Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee notes that perhaps the most important aspect of this study is its potential to inform new targeted therapies. While current treatment regimens rely on high-dose chemotherapy, these may not be effective at targeting leukemia-initiating cells that can cause relapse even when present in minute numbers. Prior studies have already identified a small molecular inhibitor of the interaction between CBF-beta-SMMHC and RUNX1 as a potential therapy for inversion 16 AML. The results of this new study elevate this potential approach by demonstrating it could directly target leukemia-initiating cells, an important driver of relapse. In doing so, this team has provided a path forward to develop more effective, less toxic therapies for inversion 16 AML. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.